Here we are at the show at 5.11. So it, uh, it used to be the uh, the lawyer talk show. We've changed the name. Don't worry. It's still going to be really cool stuff. Probably a lot of the same stuff, but then it... Uh, all, to all the millions of listeners, you're still going to get the show. You're still going to get all the great content. You're going to get all the stuff that you crave every single week. Uh, but it now is the show at 5.11, and that's going to come with some other stuff that's going on here. But um, uh, Now keeping, when we talk about go-karts, they can't get mad at us. Right. So we talk about go-karts. We talk about... Like, uh, this isn't a lawyer show. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> this Sunday's race day. It is race day. You want to stop by? Come on, Beard. We got an extra cart for you. I might be able to. About ten thirty a.m. That's when that's when the race starts. National anthem. Uh, West Nile track. West track. West Nile. And, right, and you actually have to take your hat off and sing the national anthem. You don't have to sing. I'm not, no, I want him to sing. I require him to sing. No, I don't want him to sing. Somebody's got to sing it. <laughs> Somebody's got to sing it. Well, anyway, the show. Uh, I've got a recording of Roseanne Barr singing it. I think that's yeah. I don't want that. that. In fact, I, I that's think, gonna be a good one. Uh, maybe we should start singing a nat. We should make Jeff do the Pledge of Allegiance every single show. I just well, first, play I would like to know if all of you know the words to the national anthem. I can I can hit all the notes and I know all the words, but not on the air. <laughs> not together. Yeah, not together. <laughs> all right, so we got. Yeah, not, you mean like not all, all the, the right. you mean at the same In time? Synchronicity. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, all right, so you know we have uh, we have a couple guests, and uh, I, is this the guest series still on the show? I don't know, but. Uh, you know, Judge Brown, we've had you here before, and you loved it so much that you came back and you brought on another judge. So we've got uh, Judge Lynch and Judge Brown, both Franklin County sitting judges, uh, here at the table on the show. Uh, what an opportunity. We can talk about all sorts of stuff. Now, it's no secret that uh, Jeff and I practice criminal law and have done criminal defense now, well, me anyway, for the better part of 25 years. Is it 25 years? Mm. Yeah. I think I hit almost 11 the other day. I think I'm. T- it's time for a career change. Maybe podcast host. That'd be good. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. got the setup for it. I got so. the setup for it. Now, now the problem is it doesn't really come with a paycheck. <laughs> I've been, I might just, I've been I might just flip burgers for years for free legal advice, and it keeps growing because now I have have a couple of judges that I'm I'm trying to prime here and get get some inside information. <laughs> right. So it's, it, it, it's I I give no inside information. <laughs> no, <I just laughs> Thank want, you. Yeah, inside information. Oh no, is, is this okay? And so far the answer has been no, no, no. <laughs> Can't do that. Can't do that. <laughs> like, okay, just checking. All right. Well, let's uh, uh, judge Lynch. Let's start with you. So, you when did you get? When did you take the? I remember you on the Muni bench at least briefly, right? Yeah, uh, I took the Common Pleas bench in two thousand five. It's been that long, huh? Two thousand five. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, not to butter this up too much, but I think you do an awesome job on the bench. I mean, Thank I, you. I've appeared in front of judges all over the state and even out of state and in federal courts. And uh, I told this to somebody recently. I was like, listen, I've been doing this long enough to tell or I've been doing a lot be honest right so if a judge asked me you know what do you think of that or how I do if I think it's shitty I'll just say I think I, you know honestly you know, my honest opinion I think it's crap but uh, no I think you've always done a great job look it doesn't always go our way I mean right. often doesn't in fact rarely yeah <laughs> do, do we feel warm and fuzzy actually that's not true but it's uh, what we always look for is somebody who treats the lawyers professionally and fairly treats the litigants professionally and fairly and just generally isn't mean Right. I mean, it's like it's it. I, I, it's such a those, those seem like such a low standards, but they are often hard to meet. Um, We've all been to those places where it just seems like as an attorney, you're kind of like the defendant. Um, If you've traveled throughout the state of Ohio, they there's there's tendency sometimes that treat you like you did this. And yeah. that always makes it a little bit harder to operate. Did did you guys ever use the term home home ruled 
when yeah, you go oh, around yeah, and you oh, get yeah, home, yeah, home, yeah, you know, home, yeah, the home team treatment. Yeah, you know, yeah. before I was a judge, I was an assistant attorney general, and I did not practice in Franklin County, so I often experienced being the person from right. out of out of right. county. I've sat in many counties before where it's like they're doing their morning dockets, and it's like, all right, they're calling that case and that case and that case. It's like I think I checked in first, but now I'm being called last <laughs> to come up here. Yeah, it's tough. We've tried a case, then we'll get to this. But we tried a case out in. Uh, well, I just, I'm not going to say it was out in one of the counties. It was, a, it was about a year ago and I felt like I was on trial and, yeah. you know, again, I, I got pretty thick skin after doing this for a long time and I just thought this is insanity. I mean, this is utter insanity. And then, and then the complete either misunderstanding or complete ignorance, I guess, or to the fact that they were ignoring it, the rules on what should happen. It was, it was sort of mystery. It was a mystery how nothing went our way, even when it should. Is this the trial you talked about where you asked for just a bathroom break and the judge was like, why? Why? Yeah, <laughs> like, there was that kind of stuff. <laughs> like, wouldn't give you a bathroom break? Like, it's like, objection, hearsay. Well, I'm not offering it for the truth. Well, you're just trying to get around the hearsay rules. I was like, well. That is the that, hearsay rule. Though. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> like, that's exactly what's going on. Well, I'm not going to let you do it. Overruled. Okay. <laughs> they don't understand what are called exceptions. I, I, they, yeah. I mean, this was or definition. That's or the definition, definition of yeah, hearsay. Yeah, yeah. You know, right? You, you know, um, interestingly enough, with Judge Brown, um, he was actually someone who practiced in front of me. So I've known Judge Brown when he, first off when he was a prosecutor, and he did an excellent job as a prosecutor. And then when he left the prosecutor's office, he went to um, work as a as a defense attorney, and I had him in my court as a defense attorney. And as a matter of fact, yesterday when we were just briefly talking about what I could expect here, uh, yeah. tried to Judge Brown. May I call you Chris? You can okay. you can call me Chrissy if okay. you want. You know, Please. so Chris and I, <laughs> yeah, even to. though Chris is young and I'm not, and Chris is a newer judge <laughs> and I'm the uh, an old one. Um, I call him Chrissy, and he calls me Jules. So get get used to it, <laughs> like folks. It, right, like um, it. But anyway, uh, <laughs> we had actually one of a case in my courtroom that to this day people come up to me and say, "Oh, I saw you on TV last night," and I'm like, mm, "But I was not on TV last That's night." That's an old camp footage, and it's from the second year I was on the bench, which is 2006, I I believe. Wow. It was 07. I think. 07 yeah. was it? 07. Yeah. Okay, and. Uh, uh, we had a case in my courtroom that has been running on uh, TV ever since, and it's on. It's like on Court TV it's or on True court TV. TV or, True TV, yeah. and it's oh, like wow. ten most violent courtroom <sighs> moments or something like that. And awesome. Chris was the defense attorney, co co defense attorney. No, I was prosecutor. Oh, I'm sorry. It was, I'm sorry. It was Stead and I. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, he was uh, prosecuting this case, and uh, this. Uh, it was Wendell Hollingsworth was the defendant, and he attacked his defense attorney, who was Scott Wiseman was at Wiseman, the time. Yeah, yeah. That, and yeah. that was before Chris went and worked right. with Scott. So, and uh, Scott, Scott was doesn't just, seem like the kind of guy you want to attack. Oh my God. He was ready not for it. Not at all. He, he, he I actually thought Scott broke the guy's leg. Like he attacked his own attorney, which should tell you something. Yeah. But Scott was no one to mess with. And Scott grabbed him by the foot. And he twisted that foot, and I'm sitting on the bench. In the meantime, <laughs> the deputies are up 
and they got their tasers out, and in the whole one of the thing, deputies shot the other one, one in the foot. North, de- <laughs> deputy, it was, deputy it was a Norris, deputy yes. Norris got yep. shot with the laser. And let me tell you something: what a bull he was. Now he did yell "bull," the rest of it in court, but he literally pulled that out of his leg and then went back at wow. it. It was one of those situations that was that I've never experienced since. You don't experience that often. But the beautiful part about that case was when it came to sentencing, the courtroom had a lot of press in it. You maxed them. And, you... Well, that's, that's... <laughs> now in fairness. In oh, fairness, he deserved every uh, he single. He had been in prison. Day. He was supposed to be in prison for fifty-four years prior to this incident happening. The at the, during his original. Um, sentencing before Judge Kane, who's now retired. At that time, the head of the uh, public defender's office was his attorney, and he attacked his attorney there. In he the broke, first case. In the first case. Dave he, Boddicker? Dave Boddicker, yep. Yeah, wow. And he, Dave Boddicker had to get stitches. Wow. And so at the time, the judge on that case, Doug Stead, who was the prosecutor in the first case of Wendell Hollingworth, and Dave Boddicker all wrote letters to the parole authority saying, this man should not get out wow. ever. They said he took an anger management course and was rehabilitated. He was all fixed. And, and, and so this new string of robberies was all on the Near East side um, between Whitehall and Reynoldsburg. And he had been out maybe six months. Six months was it, It yeah. was uh, He wow. had just gotten out. And so the, the way I got on the case is that um, – Doug Stead, who was my boss, he was the head of grand jury at the prosecutor's office. Um, he would allow his staff to pick a case and he would do a trial with you. Just pick a case, I'll do a trial with you. So I go in on a Monday and he's like, do you see about Wendell? And I have no idea who that, but Doug was the prosecutor on him in like 92 or 93 when he, you know, he'd done a string of armed robberies and went to prison and um, Doug saw his name and was like, that fucking guys back here <laughs> are you cuss. allowed to cuss on podcasts oh, yeah, i cuss all the time yeah. I, you know oh, it's a courage explicit oh. Oh. i am sorry yeah. you're, you're virgin ears i'll be more ah. Mm. Ah, wait a minute what kind of podcast is this this is a this <laughs> okay. is, a, this is on, an adult like, show like, no. so yeah, yeah so so i do it uh doug catches the case it's my turn he's like let's do it and so Scott Wiseman gets appointed. I think he had gone through one or two attorneys before, and then you appointed Scott because he was just difficult. He's he's a pain in the butt. That happens in my – well, it used to happen when Scott Wiseman was here because Scott had a particular um, style and nature and build that if I had really problematic, violent defendants, I knew that – Scott could handle them. Well, so yeah. unfortunately for Scott, and he has yeah. left the practice of he law has, right. since. You're probably yeah. responsible. Probably it's because of you. It's because, because of you. I, I hope you know. give him all the horrible <laughs> cases. But, exactly. Um, Scott knew about the incident with Dave Boddicker. And so that morning, it was the morning of trial. We were talking about maybe doing a plea to everything and maybe doing like 33, 35 years, knowing that the parole board was still going to revoke him on his parole violations um and the guy just wouldn't do it and then so we were uh, supposed to bring the jury out and the defendant said he fell out of the bed 
in the jail cell. Oh, I remember that. And so that's why he's in the wheelchair. Yes. He said, I can't come out. I'm, you know, I hurt my back. Yeah. And you were like, no, come out here. The old and then, hurt your back trick. And uh, I just can't do it today. Judge, I fell out of bed last night. I fell what? off my cell yeah. bed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, and Wiseman knew it was coming. So they wheel him out. And this is what you see in the video. They wheel him out. And he's sitting in this wheelchair and he gets, you know, about three feet away from Scott and just tries to kick him. And Wiseman knew it was coming, grabbed his shoe. Scott was like, I was ready to break his leg. He, I thought he, he, I, he was, he was, Scott had malice in his heart. He knew, <laughs> he knew it was coming. Well, I mean, he I knew. I think he had protection in his heart. Yeah, well, um, I mean, uh, yeah, fight or flight. So was that just oh, it's self-defense. It was the guy's just last yep. effort to he just, try to you, stop the you, trial from you happening. You corner someone like that. Now, did Scott no get off the case or did you? Did oh, he, no, oh, no, no, because I felt these were all delay of tra- t- t- um, trial was. tactics. Yeah. And so it was a pattern of. And then at one point, um. He actually had to go in his cell because he was in his cell for part of it, and people would have to get off the witness stand, go in. It was in the old courthouse, yeah. and look in, <laughs> identify him, come back out. Um, oh. but it the- was so we would uh, we brought him back out and talked to him outside of the jury's presence, and at that point he had a spit guard yep. on, yep, uh, which looks like, like a beehive. It looks like a beekeeper yeah. mask, yes. kind of. Yeah. Um, and he was like. He said that you were biased against him because you were Catholic. That was at the sentencing. Oh, no, no. Yeah. That was before it started. Yeah, right. um, because he well, called me he a goddamn robbed, Catholic, he had but he had robbed a, Christ the King. Christ the King Church. He on held it up during And mass. so he goes in during congregation, yeah. during a this Sunday mass, yeah. goes in with a gun, uh-huh. and there was a female co-defendant who was kind of helping maybe yeah. the wheel with man. The car, yeah, wheel, she was at the car. Um, and these East Side Catholics tackle him and hold him till the cops get First there. First of all, I will tell you, it was um, Jimmy Karova who owns the TAT and his daughter is now the bailiff for Judge Young. Oh. Uh, his granddaughter is the bailiff oh. for Judge Young, but it was Jimmy Karova who was like 82 at the time, or maybe 80 at the time. This story. And those old World War II vets, oh, they yeah. stood up. First of all, as Catholics, they're seeing this as their moment. If they right. get killed, they're going straight to heaven. Right. But the, one, of, one, of, one, of the, one of the funny um, or ironic parts is he held up this nun who literally had a little purse that had one rosary one Kleenex, and one dollar for the collection basket in it. But these men, these men tackled They're him. They're like, not in our house. Not, like not in our house. Yeah. The, the Thoroughgood song, right? But, but, what, but what happened in the, the sentencing was just the rich part because, well, first of all, he did. He started off his day with, you're a goddamn Catholic. You shouldn't even be hearing this. Well, Scott Wiseman uh, is of the Jewish faith. Uh the prosecutors were of the Protestant faith, and I was of the Catholic. So I went around the court to make sure everybody was okay with me hearing this case. I, I was raised Catholic. Just well, so. were you raised Catholic? Raised okay. Catholic. Me too. Okay. Lapsed right. yeah. Catholic, I think, <laughs> is kind of, yeah. I have a son that's a the priest. Term. I'll hook you up. Um, anyway. <laughs> I, got, so, I got what you need. <laughs> so anyway, um, <laughs> they have, uh, you know, he starts off with that, and that comes around. Okay, it goes to he he gets uh, found guilty on all counts because he had first um, robbed the Catholic Church, then he robbed the Humane Society mm-hmm. over the there dog on Alan, uh, you know the how Humane much money Society. is he actually That's, taking? Well, I mean, how, well, look, the does, Catholic Church. I mean, if you're going to rob a place where you want to make sure there's going to be some cash, I mean, you just go take the tilt. I've had another client do that too. I know, but that's a, not. I mean. 
how well, much could that be? And some of that's going to be in checks. Even, and right. the thing about, I don't know if any oh, so of you are familiar. It was like a live strong arm robbery. Everybody yes. line up, yeah. give me your yeah. wallets. Right. And, and the You're thing better about, off going to Advanced Vapor in Westerville. The, oh, stop. <laughs> not, not right. We got an innocent bystander. You probably got more cash in your till than that place. cash anymore. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Just Venmo. Just Venmo. Venmo, Enjoy the tension. You know, the change is there. Put your phone over it. Yeah. But uh, that sentencing of that case. Everybody me your money. <laughs> is that the new robbery? Yeah, I don't know. I Get your phone that. out. Get your right. phone out. I want all of it to Venmo me. Show me your apps. Show me your apps. Venmo me now. Well, that's that reminds me of another case I had where a guy went in and robbed a bank. And he was about six foot eight, weighed about 300 pounds. And uh, unfortunately, when he robbed the bank, he had taken one of his deposit checks and wrote the note on the back of it. So his name, address, and phone number were right on the front of it. Smart thinking. Yeah. So he did get caught. Just in case the identity, just in case the cameras didn't catch his likeness. Exactly. Yeah, right. Right. No. I'm going to give left, you my ID. I'm going to give you my business card. Right. Yeah, that's great. So what happened to this guy at sentencing? So at sentencing, uh, he went, he went, crazy and uh since this is a show i guess in which you're allowed to use profanity he um he uh started off with um calling me a motherfucking whole uh motherfucking uh he started off with calling me a, like a motherfucking or something like that oh, and gosh. and i just sat back and he went through this whole tirade and i can still see carol looper from channel six at the time she was still working she was in the courtroom her eyes as big as saucers he's calling me every every name in the book and then finally he ends with you fat yeah. and i'm like hey now that just hurt. that just hurt That's get right. out of my courtroom <laughs> like he had called me a whole all these names, and then I'm like, he called me fat, and I went nuts. Get out! <laughs> get out! I don't want to be called fat. No. No, awesome. <laughs> I mean, that's good mitigation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is Scott? I'm like, well, I can lose weight. <laughs> what um, did Scott even? I mean, what do you Sc say at that point? Scott just sat I mean, back, but he did. I forget sort of what I gave him, but it was it was ninety. Ninety. Yeah. yeah. Well, and but then, he, and that's before. PRC yeah. or APA, you know, they were going to give him the other, you know, 35 years that he had on the shelf for parole. APA is Adult Parole Authority. Thank you. Yeah. Um, one of the so like one of the interesting things about that trial is because of the way he acted, he he was like, I'm not sitting here. I'm not, you know, before the jury came in, he you know, refused to come out for trial. So we'd bring up and this was it took a whole two, you know, one and a half weeks just there's all these robberies all across the east side. So we'd bring in the witness, and Stead and I would just take turns, like, do you remember the incident at, you know, Christ the King Church? And do you see the person who robbed you? No? All right, can you go in the back in the jail cell? Yeah, you see the guy who did it? Oh, yeah, that's him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was it was bizarre, yeah, it was but bizarre. he just, like— And are you, like, trying to make a huge record, too, that he's, like, refusing oh, to come out? Oh, that yeah. record. First of all, yeah. you know, you guys know— and and certainly Judge Brown knows that the record is our friend. Mm -hmm. So I try to have as much on the record as possible. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. That's uh, in the, look. We've had a I've had a couple of cases not that bad, but it is awful. Like Wiseman, I, you know, he's going through this thing where our job sucks anyway. I mean, it's like high pressure, high stress, high conflict all the time, and then your client makes it even worse 
in the whole scenario. It's like it, it, it's an impossible scenario. From I our do. Perspective. I do feel like so in the past sixteen years, what I've noticed a lot are how many defendants argue with their like act like they know more than their defense attorney. And I have really noticed this that defense attorneys' jobs have gotten what I see and believe to be more difficult over the years from people who are either getting advice from other defendants in the jail. I mean, that, I feel like your job's online. online. However they're getting their information, I feel like they're challenging you guys in a way that, or you people, in a way that has never been done before in the past 15 years. I feel like all the time I have defense attorneys talking to me about client management well there's 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 two things there the first is in in this day and age you've got the internet and you've got other resources available to these people where they think they know better and certainly there's a trust problem but i think equally important so my mentor it was bill meeks and i watched him for years deal with clients and the trick is really you've got to take it's our responsibility i think to educate that client and set expectations immediately and what happened in 2008 is everybody, all the lawyers in the pipeline, all the lawyers who were going to go to the big firms and the half the lawyers at the big firms yep. lost their jobs. Yep. Yep. So now everybody is a criminal defense lawyer, right. everybody, and they have no freaking clue what to do. And then that created a competition in the market where lawyers will sit. I mean, I, I get this all the time. Well, so-and-so told me they can get me off of this. And I'm looking at them and it's like, listen, man, I've been doing this a long time. You got an eyewitness. You had a gun. There are drugs involved, and you're going to get convicted if you go to trial. I don't know what this guy's telling you, and then they'll go hire those people. So I, I think and you some left of your it, checkbook at the scene. Yeah, with your right. You left your checkbook yeah. and business cards. Right, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And, 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 and DNA and fingerprints. And <laughs> There's a picture of you, your calling card. And, and I know Bill taught me. You know, it's it's about the results, and the results have to be defined in the context of the problem. You can't just say I get great results, everybody wins, and walks away a free person because of. Uh, uh, how great I am. And I think there's a lot of people selling that, or at least they're either actively selling that that pitch or they don't know not to what how to set expectations otherwise. And you remember Bill, I mean he was very firm about what things are, what and he was fair but firm. And it's like, look, no, you're wrong. You're not doing this. And this is how it's gonna be. I have just seen too many people fall into a trap where they don't have that control at the outset. And then by the time you get to a trial, it's right. chaos. It's, it's too late. It's, yeah. like it's, it's too chaos. late then. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, once, you know, if you're not setting their expectations and telling them realistic advice, it's, you know, Wiseman used to say, it's not my job to be your cheerleader. I'm not here to say rah, rah, yay, yay, everything's going to go your way. <laughs> it's, yeah. um, it's you know, I, I need to give you, yeah, it's uh, puppies and unicorns. Yeah. It's not, that's, yeah. you know, and, and he would, you know, have these heart to hearts with like guys like, you know, he would get appointed from, you know, you and Judge Kane and others. Uh, you know, this is like my job is to give you legal advice. Right. It's not to tell you that everything's going to work out. And it's also to make sure their constitutional protections are in right. place. Mm-hmm. Sure. Like, I mean, yeah. there's because, you know, from the public perception, people are always like, how can somebody defend somebody who is raping babies? And you're not defending the actions. You're defending their constitutional protections. And so, like, I try to explain to people that there, we, I would not proceed in my courtroom without making sure that people who know nothing 
have somebody there that knows the Constitution and knows how to protect mm-hmm. their rights. I yes. mean, for me, as a judge, my pleasure is not in putting people in prison. That's not my pleasure. That is a consequence of their behavior that that happens, not yes. of not of like, oh, good, let's put somebody in prison. It would be it'd be my hope that we never put anybody in prison because they don't do anything to create that need. Sure, it'd be better if we didn't need to do it at all. But then and, we wouldn't have jobs. You right? know what? Well, we yes. still would have jobs because we still have those, you know, those lovely civil, civil dockets. Yes, well, uh-huh. and that's, that's such a good way to put it. And, and generally speaking, I love my job because of that. I, I mean, I truly love the how the Bill of Rights fits into the justice system and how the constitutional protections fit into the justice system. And I love it so much that when it doesn't work or somebody's doing something that is a foul of that, whether wittingly or unwittingly, whether it's a judge, whether it's a prosecutor, whether it's another defense, something, it drives me nuts. Yeah. And, and I hate it. And I, I remember early on, sort of when the light bulb came on in my career, how it all fit together. It's like when you have, like how the how the trial rights fit in with the whole sp- perspective of it and, and, and how I could sort of organize my thoughts for trial. I remember thinking, wow, this is awesome stuff. And it has nothing to do with the client. And it really has nothing to do with the individual. It has everything to do with the case, the evidence, and our system, which is really nothing short of awesome. Now, here, th- this is where I take over the platform. I get on my soapbox. I'm going to turn it over to you guys. Because what I'm seeing now is that, by and large, more and more people are willing to give up those constitutional protections for whatever cause they are championing. And it's taking this out of our uh, arena for a minute. You get people who don't want, uh, we shouldn't be able to say certain things. We shouldn't be able to do certain things. We shouldn't be able to, because they disagree with it or it's offensive or call it free speech or call it not free speech. And uh, it scares the crap out of me. And I don't know if I'm just, I'm just an old guy uh, looking back and saying, you people are going to ruin our country. But I, I do see this notion where people don't have a basic comprehension of what we really have here. And I would start with Congress and Senate. Well, sure. they, need, they need to understand. First of all, they need to go back and take high school civics. Like they need to understand the separation of powers. They need to understand the, what the Constitution is. Is there a specific politician to which you're referring? All of them. Who, I am telling no, you, all no. of In them. In the executive branch? All of them. Maybe. All of them. No, no. I'm telling Nothing you, jumps I, to mind? I figure any of them. From the top, actually, Chris, from the top down, I, I, I would give, I would absolutely say that from the top down. Well, I think the executive branch is the least important of all we have. I mean, that's how. That was the, that's I how would our think the judicial branch is the most important. I agree with you. Yeah. I agree with you. Now, if you go back and study history, there's some concept whether we should even have judicial review. We won't, that's another debate on Marbury versus Madison. But oh, if you go, Jesus Christ. If you go back, back. <laughs> but if you, look at, if you look at our structure, I mean, everybody's upset about That was about Chris it. being a Christian. He used to be a Catholic. <laughs> Well, I heard him invoke Jesus Christ, so I'm yeah. sure that's a Christian. Term. Yeah, well, that, yeah, he was. I've got he, way worse sins to account for, Jules. Yeah, the, 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 the executive <laughs> branch really has the least amount of power, at least in my opinion, it should. Now, there should be a balance, I suppose, but I think their balance is sort of insignificant. But you're right. So you get the, the General Assembly. I see this all the time, more in drunk driving law than any other area, where they maybe the General Assembly thinks we ought to be harder on this because whatever lobby that got them elected says we should be hard on this. So we're just going to make the judges do things. We're going to make the judge take somebody's license. We're going to make the judge give them yellow plates. We're going to make the judge give them an interlock device without a basic comprehension of what that really means on the ground when you get back to like a real courtroom setting. What the heck does that mean? That means that this is a pain in the ass for everybody. 
and it means that there's no wiggle room or gray area for you folks to do what you've been elected to do, which is exercise discretion within a broad frame of the law. And it's frustrating. And that really goes to what people consider uh, the gravest gravest, uh, crime, and that is uh, taking someone's life. And so when you take someone's life, judges have zero discretion. That is that is so appalling to me. Mm. Like zero discretion. Like so here's the thing. You either get A, B, or C and the legislator said it. So to me, the legislator has overstepped their bounds by saying exactly what it has to be. So you can have a range. They can make a range and then as a judge, we have that discretion within that range. But when they take away any discretion, we have none. They have overstepped their boundary. They have infringed on the third branch of government. And I see this all, see politically speaking, I sort of sit, I try to sit back and see what's going on and just identify what I do for a living, right? I, I identify inconsistencies and how people are talking out of two sides of their mouth or whatever it would be. So you hear all these harsh criticisms now of mandatory drug sentences that it, all this changed back in the 80s when we were going to have this war on drugs and all, especially in federal court, the guidelines came out and really screwed up drug sentencing for a lot of people. Now people are looking back and saying how horrible that was, how racist that was, how this that was. But then those are the same people willing to do it in a different arena over here. So we're going to be harsh on this. So we're going to have mandatory sentencing over here, but it was bad over here. And the point is, if it's bad, it's bad, right? You have to get be So if you're using the General Assembly to legislate policy uh, using the judicial branch as a tool, uh, then it's bad no matter how you do it. Well, how about the how about uh, um, the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Corrections, which we call ODRC? How about ODRC when judges, when we sentence someone to prison? So even if we sentence someone for two years, six weeks after they're in prison, we get a notice from the prison saying, we are moving these to an IPP, which is a, an intensive prison program, which means they're moving them out of the prison into the community, into a transitional housing. Sure. Against, I mean, we've said what the sentence is the and what they've said to you, to the bench is, screw you, we've got money issues. See, it and- is not Chris and I's job to determine the budget for the prison systems. It is not our job to say, oh, they can't afford this. It is our job to punish the defendant and to protect the community. And so for them to, after we make a decision, years, first of all, you have to be a lawyer for six years. I've been a judge for 16 years. Uh, after I've been a lawyer for uh Nineteen thirty-seven. Oh. <laughs> oh. 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 No, it was nineteen thirty-eight. So there you go. Yeah. No. Love you, Jules. Uh, <laughs> thank you. And I wonder. <laughs> Feeling and, very old right now, folks. And if I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just thinking about the logistics of that. So you got the executive branch essentially through an administrative agency. Uh, yes. Dictating what the judicial branch. Hallelujah. Should do. That's right. And then it's right. coming on the on the back on the front no, end side. No, it's not the executive. The, I, I'm sorry. It's no the General Assembly since 2011. This is, and, and I agree, and I chafe at, you know, when they tell us we have to do this or we can't do that. Like, it, it bothers me, and I think we should have that discretion. But it's all, in, starting in 2011, they revised the principles and purposes of sentencing, and they included specific language that says you must consider in determining sentence the cost. Of, yeah, but you considered it, and you said, I right. consider this cost. It's two freaking years. Right. That's what it is, right? right. Or whatever but, it is. But when, so when ODRC, though, puts someone on an IPP or TC, transitional control, 
that's been authorized by the General Assembly. And but, but, whether you like it or not. But which, how are they making the decision? No, but here's the thing. That's something we're, we are to consider in our sentencing. That's not something for after we've considered it Correct, in our right. sentencing, then for them to say, no, judge, you're not right. You didn't consider this correctly. We're going to make that adjustment for you. And for all I know... I don't have any idea what their education level is, what their experience level is. I've been to ODRC when Gary Moore was the the director of ODRC. I went to talk to him about something I'm very passionate about, and it's called uh, the prison program, and it's bringing meditation to to prisoners. And I'm telling you, meditation, we have been running a program in Southeast Correctional the, the the changes in prisoners are amazing. First of all, when you come into a prison, there's a lot of sleep disorder. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of negative emotions that are going on. And if you can curtail that through something as simple as meditation, and let me tell you something, whether you think that's hoo-hoo or not, we've been doing it in a in a prison in which people are changing and so i went to talk to him about doing a systematic implementation of meditation into all of our prison systems it would have cost $40,000 to train cuz what you do is you go in and you train the prison s- staff to, mm-hmm. to to conduct it to conduct controlled meditation and $40,000 out of that huge budget he said we can't afford that. Even though we brought empirical data to support and show what it has, what it's doing to these prisoners, and he applauded it and thought it was fantastic, and then said no. Yeah, they don't and, want to afford it, right? That's they, the difference. And, and right? I mean, yeah, there's no, it's just a, there's no money for it. I'm sure he would have had that forty grand have been available. Sure, you know, like sure, forty you grand, think? forty grand in that budget. Come on. I mean, that's like, well, like uh, they're, right. they're, you could probably just corners. call your, your vendors and and, yeah. and, and and actually give a little bit of an audit to where you're spending the money yeah. and come up with 40 grand without even trying. Yeah, but, I, I just don't think that for the whole entire, we have, uh, Ohio has one of the largest prison populations in the country. Is that right? I didn't, yes. I didn't know that. Yep. And so, yeah, we do. And so I, I feel like when you're talking about dollars for like TCAP and dollars to save money in prison, I feel like that. They're willing to give us sixty-two dollars to every to every person we put on probation in lieu of 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 Sentence. prison. Yeah. And so what do I'm you, saying is, do you want to talk about TCAP? Because we were kind of talking it before we went on the air, and I know it's 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 a point that you and I. Well, here's the problem: it's twenty well, I know after we're eight, out, and I've got to uh, go. Of time here. This can be part one, right? Yeah. We can do this again. Yeah, yeah, we because can be part it's one. fascinating stuff, and you, you know, you're into all sorts of. of of topics that can come from this, uh-huh. like, uh, like who's in charge. So you, you basically you have government money and you're giving the government control over how to spend it. So they're making these decisions. Now you have the chance to go lobby it and say, we, sh- we think you should spend the money here. You should spend the money here. But uh, there are special interests that are going to, w- there's always somebody specialer than you. And that usually is the person who's given the most money That's, on the, on the I front. I was just going right? to say. So that makes you really special mm-hmm. if you give somebody a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And uh, so <laughs> well, it's really special that you've got a lot of money. <laughs> now we we are free in this country to give people money to get elected and do whatever. So maybe the answer is not to stop that, but maybe limit the government's discretion and authority to run the business that private folks should run. And uh, so I'm not saying the private prisons are great. I'm not saying they're not oh, great. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying that uh, that's a whole nother show too. Oh, what you what that's... you have is a is a whole mess here 
and you you know the, we can try to plug the the leak here in one with one program and then it starts something over here uh and you know we all see it on the ground right like the criminal justice system is a microcosm of what's going on out there and why do i smell marijuana down here are you guys smoking uh, I'm getting high every day. It's stuck in Jeff's yeah. beard. No, yeah. I, see a, got some... I see a vapor going over here. I'm just yeah, trying a... to make sure that nobody's doing anything illegal in my presence. No, no. And these things, you know, <laughs> we were talking a little bit about this, yeah. about CBD yes, and, and, yes. and leaf pot and everything. And I actually think that that would be a whole nother show because with the new law in Columbus and with what's happening, <laughs> like, I think that, you know, pot, everybody wants to talk about pot now. Like, it is the thing everybody wants to talk about. I'll be 60 in October, and I'm telling you i see more 60 to 80 year olds now getting on board with marijuana it is a most it's mind-boggling thing so i'd you, like to come back and talk about it you yeah. are killing me because I, I talked to you yesterday and i said you know they, they talk about like real political stuff and they kind of oh, get you at think each other political yeah oh i was much. just talking about what is well, going not, on well just when i talked to you yesterday you're like yeah we should probably just talk about you know our jobs and you know yeah. stay away from you know, divisive issues, and now you're like, oh, let's talk here. about yeah. weed. Let's oh, talk about marijuana. But it's all I over. Yeah, I, did, I, I did not consider, I'm sorry, well, I didn't no, consider oh, that no. a divisive issue. I, I thought that no, was something that we're I'm just giving you a hard time. He's uh, just giving you greed. Any, no. any chance I get, I, any, I, t- any chance you get, I would and love I get it right it. back. It's like the little brother I'd like to give a nookie to. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'd be awesome if you guys came back. I mean, we can do. I think there's a, there's a lot we could talk about here uh, that sort of relates directly to what you guys do for a living every day. I mean, it's fascinating to hear your perspective on. I, I'd not considered your thoughts or a, a, the judicial perspective on. I sentence somebody, and then the Bureau of, or Department of Corrections changes it later. That's insane. And, and I think your point that you're making, and I agree with you on this. I don't agree with you much, but is that some unelected bureaucrat he's is very deciding, young and inexperienced folks and good looking too <laughs> oh, he's he cute <laughs> um but some unelected bureaucrats deciding yeah. you know when someone gets out of prison and that bothers yeah. me too like yeah. i i gave you those two years for a reason right you earned those two years that was what we called our dis- judicial discretion yeah. that comes with our experience i, I understand the reasons why they changed the law in 2011 I don't agree with it. Right. Um, and so I think that's the one uh, maybe area with that, that you and I philosophically kind of are, are aligned on. Well, I think we got we, we need to we need to cover that some more in the TCAP program. We're going to talk about that. That's coming. And I would love to go through our conversation about CBD, marijuana and the ramifications of that in the city. And that's a that's a great topic, too. I think we ought to hit that. Sure. Because it's so new. That even the people who are listening to to your podcast probably might not even be aware of it at this point. Yeah. So, I and mean, it's brand new. It was last week. And we're struggling the court with uh, medical marijuana in Ohio. Medical like, mar- how do we absolutely. deal with probationers who have a prescription or a recommendation that they can use it? Like, how do we yes. supervise them? How do we es- especially deal with that? If it's if it's authorized by law, is it yeah. something well, that, you know, like, I could, could I say, hey, I don't care if you have this prescription. You can't use it. You're absolutely. You're in violation of your probation if you're smoking weed. But you're, you know, absolutely allowed. We are absolutely allowed since it's still illegal under the federal system and under and it's. No, I agree. I agree. We're we're allowed to do that, but the question becomes, like, when when is it going to? So here, here's the position I've taken in my courtroom. If they were opioid addicts and they got medical marijuana cards, 
I allow that. I want that. I want people off of opioids. And if people can get off mm. of opioids and get on marijuana, I support that 100 percent. Sure. Because I feel like that opioid, we know it. Well, like well, none of us, you could you could have never had you don't have to have any kind of electronic communication. And you still know in Ohio, we're a state that is always pointed out for our opioid crisis so if this if this is going to help that i am i am supporting my defendants who get off of opioids and and they get a a doctor who is prescribed if if marijuana has a purpose in a prescriptive uh manner i support that so this brings up and i know we got to get out of here but i had a court or a judge out in one of the counties i had a client who was on a medication or who had a who got addicted to opioids Mm -hmm. uh out of the medical field and she was, uh, you know, it ha- I get tons of docs, tons of nurses, sure. tons of uh, pharmacists, people. It happens. And she also had depression issues. I mean, she had all these comorbid problems that went along with it, whether they were symptoms or cause, who knows. But she was prescribed another drug, and it was called gabapentin, which is a it, – Yeah. And it's, it's, it has – Multiple it, uses. Yeah. It was originally prescribed, I think, for like some sort of uh, blood pressure issue or something. And then it, the people realized it also had a psychotropic effect of some – I don't – I'm no expert on it. But – it was a prescription. I was looking at it, and I saw it, and I go to the judge, and the judge says, well, I'm not going to let her take that. And I thought, well, this is interesting. I mean, I, and I wasn't going to draw a line of saying because I was trying to get intervention in lieu of conviction. I was trying to get uh-huh. a result, uh-huh. which puts us in a weird spot. Uh-huh. So I've got a judge sort of dictating, your client can't take that drug. And I'm thinking, I was in, I was in the judge's chamber saying, well, it's a prescription. And it, by all rights, it's not being abused. He goes, yeah, but people abuse it all the time. Well, I mean, you can go to the store and buy, I don't know, my age is going to show, but do you guys know what no-dos are? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, I remember in the 70s, kids would go buy packs of no-dos and, and, and try to, you know, take them because they were caffeine tablets and, you know, yeah. they try oh, to yeah. get some kind of amphetamine type of, of rush off them. So my point is, is every every over-the-counter medication has a warning on it. You know, so anything yeah. that has a warning that it'll make you sleepy, don't operate, don't do this, mm-hmm. any of those, if you abuse them, have the ability to, you know, be abused. So I I mean, you I, got a script for a drug and this is going to come up with marijuana. You get this essentially a, 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 what you call it's got to be a recommendation, a recommendation. Uh, yeah. but essentially a prescription. And then the court is going to be in this spot where it's got to say, I'm cool with that or not cool with that. Yeah. At the same time. Eventually, we're going to have docs coming in saying, no, I mean, I, there's yeah. a reason for this and we're using it. But, but unlike a lot of well, over-the-counter stuff, I mean, we have a per se alcohol limit right. or, and marijuana limit. So now we have people that medically can take it, but they're going to have too many nanograms well, of marijuana and, and, in it and, when and, they're driving a car. And here's, what the, and here's the, the real problem with that is that marijuana has a psychotropic effect for X amount of time, right. but it stays in your system. Yeah, so if right. you get pulled over two days later, you are not under the influence of the psychotropic uh, THC element, but you still have it in your system. So sure. I really am going to be interested to see how they're going to be able to monitor impaired driving. And because it made perfect sense. It's going to be crazy. When it was against the law altogether, it made perfect sense. It didn't right. matter. Right. right? Did so we can just matter. make this a per se yep. offense. No big deal. Yep. 
Um, but now it's like, well, wait a minute. I got this recommendation. Yeah. I'm taking it. Why can't right. I have it in my system? The, the state of Ohio says I can. And, right. and, and the state of Ohio also allows you to drive, even though there's a warning on the side with hydrocodone, for any of those kind of, of, of opioid sure. things, you're still allowed to or drive. Even, even methane. How many people are cruising around with uh, Well, methamphetamine you know, is not. I don't well, think that's a legal drug. It is. It, methamphetamine is Adderall. Legal. Oh, Adderall? Well, Adderall is not Ritalin? methamphetamine. Ritalin, not methamphetamine. Ritalin, Ritalin. No, no, no. It's, it's, I'm, it's absolutely true. Ritalin is the same as the, it's essentially the same as the meth you're going to get on the street. And people get scripts for it to treat their ADHD. Well, no wonder children have such mental health problems. Dear God, we're giving them meth. Yeah. All right. Awesome? Oh, All right. We got to go. go. So this is the show at 511 here children with the judges. Children are on meth. Got to go. Yeah. So we are, uh, we are we, I used to close by saying off the record, but I would just say on the record with two judges here. So we are off the record and on the record with two judges. This Can I ask awesome. one more question real quick? Yeah. What was the 70s like? Because I was uh, born in 1980, uh, so I, don't, I wouldn't know. Chris, I have the no, 70s you know were just horrible. <laughs> you wouldn't have the perspective to know. Yeah, <laughs> that's beautiful, there, there you Steve. Go. See, Thank spoken. you, guys. Can I say one more thing, too? Yeah, I know you and I um, don't agree on a whole lot, um, but working with you and the other judges on our bench, like, I, I'm, you know, it, you, you know, I used to think part of the reason I ran for judge is because I thought that some of the judges weren't as good as, and I could do better. But, you know, having been on the bench for four years, you know, working with you and the other judges that we have, we have a great bench. And I really appreciate, you know, I know I can come talk to you if I have a question. And, you know, I know I'm going to give you shit as much as I can. Uh, but uh, I do respect you and appreciate, you know, everything that you've done and, and your, you know, perspective on uh, things, even if I don't agree with it. I want you to know that. Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. And also... We 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 are. You can be friends and have different opinions, and no, that's you what can. I. And we're not supposed we can't to be, do that I anymore. Hate all of you. Right. you know, it'd be no. weird. It'd be weird if we all agreed on the same thing Absolutely. every time. Yeah. It, 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 that's not what our from, job is. Well, to, and everybody comes from different ages, backgrounds. So things that you know, I don't like because just from from being like, young you knew and, about a podcast. I didn't. Okay, <laughs> so one of these days. Grandma here is going to get on board with all the cool stuff. Thank you for leaving your walker outside. That will close it out. Hopefully right. you guys are coming back soon. So this is the show at 511 on the air and on the air and off the record and on, on the, the record, record with two judges. So. Yeah, let us know. All right. Thank you. Next time. Thanks, Bye-bye. guys. Bye.